Matthew 14. We're in a series called Learning to Live by Faith based on 2 Corinthians 5, 7 that says this. We live by faith. We live by faith. We walk by faith, not by sight. Now, we're going to talk today about faith. And today we're going to talk about swamp people. Not swamp people as in chew them, but the swamped, S-W-A-M-P-E-D, people who have been swamped by the problems of life. We're going to talk today about when the problems of life knock you on your fanny. When things in your life knock you down, what do you do? And we're going to talk about the power of God for when things are going crazy in your life. And this is one of the great teaching passages in the Bible. Uh, Does anybody notice that we're living in a day of problems? I don't know if y'all noticed this or not. If you hadn't noticed, we are. National level, personal level, family level, personal levels. Even people who don't believe in God are saying, what in the heck is going on in this nation? You need this today. And I'm praying the Holy Spirit will store this for you and bring it back to your heart when you go through those difficult times. We're going to talk about swamped people when faith fails and you're overcome by life's problems. Ready? Matthew chapter 14. We're going to put in in verse 22. Jesus, Matthew 14, 22, immediately Jesus made his followers get in the boat and go before him to the other side. He sent the multitude away. All right, he's been ministering. He's done. He said, now y'all get in the boat. Meet me on the other side. I'm going to take care of the crowd. Verse 23, when he'd sent the multitudes away and dismissed them, he went up on the mountain by himself to pray. He will spend time in prayer. Evening came, he was alone. The boat was now in the middle of the sea, tossed by the waves, for the wind was contrary. Do you understand that? They're in a storm. A storm's come down on this ocean. This, this is a big sea. The storm's there, and they're in trouble. Their boat's in trouble. Fourth watch of the night, late in the night, Jesus went to them walking on the sea. Can I just pause a minute? Y'all okay with that? Y'all don't struggle with that? I maybe think he did it. Man can make the sun appear, he can walk on water. All right. Man can make me behave, he can walk on water. When the, verse 26, when the disciples saw him walking on the sea, they were troubled, saying, that's a ghost. They were afraid. Immediately, Jesus spoke to them, saying, I want you what he said, be of good cheer. It is I, or I am here. Don't be afraid. You need to memorize that. He didn't just say that to them then. That's in the Bible for you. You need to always hear Jesus say to you, do not be afraid. I'm right here. Keep celebrating. We need to hold on to that verse. Verse 20, 28. Peter answered and said, Lord, if it's you, tell me to walk out to you on the water. Jesus said, come. Now, was that a word from God to him? Yes. Is that the word of God? Yes. Tell me what comes from hearing the word of God. Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. Now he's got a word from God he can put his faith in. He's heard what God's got to say about walking on that water, and he can try it. I just heard him speak, come. The Bible said this, verse 29. When Peter stepped out of the boat, he walked on the water to go to Jesus. How many of you think that happened? How many of you think? Now, see, a lot of people read a little, little ahead. That man walked on water. We don't know how long he did it, but he walked on the water. Why was he able to walk on that water? Because he put his faith in what God said. There was faith is putting trust in what God has said in his word. Romans 10, 17. Faith comes by hearing. Hearing by the word of God. If God Almighty said it, I can put my weight on it. I can trust him and I can step out on that. And that's exactly what he did. When he believed God, believed what he said, he walked on that water. All righty. Verse 30. Let's look at this carefully. When he saw the wind was 
boisterous. How many of y'all talk like that? When's the last time you said, sure, it's boisterous today? You remember, he, there's a storm. There's a tremendous storm going on, and he's walking in the storm. Uh, the language here is a little difficult. Let me, let me read it to you from the original text. When he turned his attention to the storm that was around him. Got it? His attention was on the Word of God. It was on the face of Jesus. But when he turned his attention to what was going on around him, the problems in his life, the storm, something happened. Let's read it. When he turned his attention to the storms or saw the wind was boisterous, he was afraid. Fear crept into his life. And beginning to sink, he cried out, Lord, save me. Did the power of God get cut off in his life? Let me just, let's back up and ask something here. How many of you think him walking on that water, God had something to do with that? Listen, if we don't get this, we're wasting time today. How many of you think it was the power of God that let him walk like that? All right. Did God change his mind? What cut the power of God off in this man's life? This, this is not the important part. The issue, what we're learning here is what cuts the power of God off in my life. All right. And you notice how he got his attention on the storm. And what happened? Fear. Remember I told you last week, what's the two things will never be in the same place? Fear and faith can never be together. He had faith at one time, but fear will always destroy your faith or your faith will destroy your fear. Those two can never be together. And he got his eyes on the problems, began to focus on his problems, and his faith collapsed, and he sunk. Verse 31, immediately Jesus stretched out his hand and caught him, and he said, oh, oh, oh bless your heart, group hug. <laughs> Jesus looked at him and he said, where's your faith? Oh, you have little faith. Why did you not believe God would do what he said he'd do? And Jesus points out the problem, and he says, you, you have little faith. Where's your faith at? Why'd you doubt? Verse 32, they got into the boat. The problem ceased. The wind ceased. The storm stopped. Those who were in the boat worshiped him saying, you have got to be God if you can do that. Good to go through some things, isn't it? You've got to be God. All right, this has happened to you before. It's happened to me. Let's learn what to do. Question number one, can you see the difference that faith makes? Did faith make a difference? All right, listen to me. Was he a child of God? Does anybody know the answer? Yes. Did Jesus care about him? Did he love Jesus? Was he living a good life? Yes. Well, then why didn't God take care of him? You can be a child of God. You can love Jesus. Jesus loves you, and you cannot be in sin, and you won't have enough faith. You're, you will collapse, and the storms will kick your butt. Right, right. It's not being a child of God. It's not being a good person. It's not loving God. It is faith that brings the power of God in your life to overcome the problems. Can you see that clearly? We're trying to do by living good and not cussing and not smoking and going to church what only faith can do. Faith made all the difference in his life. All that other stuff was there, but his faith still didn't work. It is faith alone that releases the power of God in your life to cause things to happen. The Spirit of God was carrying him on that water, as it should you and I. Number two. What is normal? Does anybody know in this nation what normal is anymore? When I was a boy, I knew what normal was. A boy was a boy. A hoe was something you worked in the garden with. Coke's what you drank. This ain't hard. I knew what normal was when I was young. Them days are gone. Listen to me carefully. Why didn't he just stay down there and let his problems kick his rear end? 
Why didn't he just say, everybody goes through stuff. I guess it's not the will of God for me to live above the problems. I guess this is, when we get to heaven, it'll be better. Why didn't he just stay down there wallowing in that storm? You know what? He knew God's people shouldn't live like this. And I'm not supposed to live like this. I'm supposed to be above this stuff, not underneath it. The problems in my life are not supposed to have me discouraged. I am not supposed to be afraid. This is not normal, spirit-filled, child of God living. you got to know that. Dear ones, normal in the Christian church is so abnormal. The Bible paints normal. Can, can, can y'all see this clearly? Here's, here's my point. If you don't know what normal is, if you don't know what Jesus died to give you, and if you don't know the gift of power in this life, you'll live minus what God gave you. And life's problems will kick your rear in. And you'll want people to pray for you, and you really just want to whine and have them sympathize with you. But he said, I've got no business living like this. There's something better than living like this, and I'm not going to live like this. This is not normal. Listen to me. You've got to understand this. There's a gift by the Spirit of God that you should be able to live above this stuff. We've got to get back to the point where we remember when you accepted Jesus as your Savior, you not only got eternal life, you were supposed to have gotten spirit life too. You not only received the gift of eternal life, you were supposed to receive the gift of the Holy Spirit when you were saved. And the Holy Spirit of God does not let people live like that. The Holy Spirit of God is the power of God. Now listen, it don't stop the storms. It lets you live above the storms. I want you to see this with me. Turn with me to Acts chapter 2. Acts chapter 2. We have forgotten in this generation of American Christianity that there is a Holy Spirit that God gives to His people and it is power to live in this life above the junk. Did Jesus walk on top of that storm? Did that storm wear Him out? Was He afraid? Then I got no business being that way either. The same Spirit that was in Jesus is inside of me if I'm born again. Acts chapter 2 is the great promise of eternal life. They preach about Jesus. Anybody can come to Christ. And then the Bible said this. Let's look in uh, verse 38. He told them about Jesus. Verse 38, Acts chapter 2, verse 38. Peter said to them, repent. They, asked, they heard about Jesus and they said, what do we do? And what, what, what are we supposed to do with our lives? What did he say in verse 38? Repent. What does repent mean? It doesn't mean cry. It doesn't mean go to the altar and slobber. If you want to do that, that's fine. It doesn't mean to feel bad. What's the word repent mean? Turn to Jesus. Turn to Jesus. Just like Franklin Graham that night in that garden. His daddy confronted him and said, you've got to make a decision. Are you going to follow Satan? You're going to follow Jesus. He said, I'm going to turn to Jesus. Now, naturally, if you turn to Jesus, you've got to turn away from Satan. Amen. To repent is the Greek word turn. It doesn't mean to whine or moan or beat yourself up. It just means make a decision. Turn. He said, I want you to turn. Verse 38, Peter said, turn, repent. Let every one of you be baptized in the name of Jesus. Now you're going to get two things. For the remission of your sins. It, listen, if you'll repent and turn to Jesus, your sins will be taken away. They'll be removed and you'll have eternal life. But what's the rest of it say? And you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. Every person that turns to Jesus is forgiven you have a home in heaven, you're secured forever, and the Spirit of God should come into your life. The, the Holy Spirit is a gift. Now, some of my preacher friends say, 
That Holy Spirit power stuff, that, that power they had in the book of Acts, that was only for that age to get the church age going. No. One of the greatest lies ever belched out of hell. Yes. Read the next verse. Verse 39 says this. The promise, what promise? Salvation and the Holy Spirit, the promise is to you, your children, who else? All who are afar off, as many as God shall call. That's me and you. Yes. You know, there is a promise of forgiveness and acceptance and the gift of the Holy Spirit for every person who does what? Turns to Jesus. Yes. Every person who receives Jesus, there's Holy Spirit power. And we have got to get back in the American church to realizing it is not can I get all my problems to straighten out. It is can I get the power of God in my life in the middle of these problems. Hallelujah. All right, so Simon realized this, this is not right. I'm not going to live like this. There's got to be something more to it than this. Now, dear ones, listen to me. We, we, I need for you to change the way you think. Quit thinking like you think. Start thinking like God thinks. Tell me our goal. What's everybody's goal in life? A trouble-free life. I want my problems taken care of, and I want, my, I want God to get rid of my problems. Did God get rid of his problem? No, the storm was still there. He had something better than get rid of his problems. I'm going to get the power of God inside of you to where your problems don't bother you anymore. I'm going to let you walk above these problems. Now, I ask God for stuff all the time, and a lot of, most of the time, he won't do what I say. Because my goal in life is make everybody around me behave, make me feel good about everything. Make, I, wish, I told him one time, why can't it rain three nights a week from two to three in the morning? That way we'd have sunshine every day. You know what the problem is? He will not let me be God. He will not let me run the universe. And so I did this, I, like George Washington Carver, that great black man who reconstructed the South, when he prayed and he said, God, tell me about you. And God said, little man, that's too much for you. He said, tell me about me. He said, that's still too much. Ask me for something else. That's too much for you. He said, tell me about a peanut. He said, I'll tell you about that. And so I said, well, tell me what I can ask you that you'll do. Quit asking me to make everybody behave. Quit asking me to fix things like you want them fixed. Ask me to fill you with my spirit so the stuff going on around you don't bother you anymore. Let, ask me for the power of the Holy Spirit. Ask me for my touch on your life. And, and Simon knew that this ain't right to live like this. All right, number three, let me point something out here. Anybody can get kicked on their fanny. Anybody can be swamped. You know, swamp means just overwhelmed. Anybody can be swamped. There's not a one of us in this room hadn't been there. Not a one of us in this room that, that the things that go on in our lives hadn't kicked us down. Then Simon was the chief apostle. If the chief apostle can get flooded and overcome like this, you and I can too. Anybody can do this. Matter of fact, John the Baptist, most powerful man in the New Testament, he told everybody, that's the son of God, you need to follow him. He was arrested, put in prison, and he sent a messenger and said, ask him if he's God. Right. His faith collapsed, but it got back up. Elijah, most powerful man in the Old Testament, he turned an entire, he called fire down. His faith was so great, he called fire down, turned the whole nation back to God. A few days later, he ran a day's journey into the wilderness, sat under a broom tree, and, and prayed to die. said, take my life, oh Lord, I don't want to live anymore. How do you go from that kind of faith to where you don't want to live anymore? Anybody can get knocked on their rear end. Anybody's faith can collapse because of the stuff going on around you. Let me explain something to you. We've got to understand the dual forces that are working against every one of you in this culture. Right, there are two things that create, the two great 
enemies of the day? Discouragement and fear. Discouragement is what's going on now. Fear is about the future. With fear, I hear people say all the time, I'm afraid of what's going to happen in my nation. I'm I'm afraid for my kids. Old people today are afraid they're not going to have enough money. Let me settle that. You won't. Move in with your kids. People tell me they don't want to be a burden to their kids. You're nuts. Why not? They burdened you all those years. Burden them back when you get old. I'm planning on it. But the discour- I see discouragement on people. See, Simon's beat up. He's afraid. But you've got to understand something. Listen to me, dear ones. We think it's because of what's going on around us. There are two great spirits in this land right now, the spirit of fear and the spirit of discouragement. It is spiritual. When you have problems in your life and, and your world just gets rocked by things that are going on and you get discouraged, you say it's because of that. How do you know it's not a spirit of discouragement? All right, Isaiah chapter 61, we're going to look at it, talks about a demon spirit of discouragement. The Bible calls it a spirit of heaviness. You ever had that? Where you just get so weighted down and you're just so discouraged and beat up? That is a spirit. When Elijah ran and hid like that, it was because of a demon spirit named Jezebel that beat him up like that. Then you've got to understand something. We, we battle on two fronts. The visible front of the problems we deal with and the spiritual front. We wrestle not with flesh and blood, but with principalities and powers. A spirit of discouragement will suck the life out of you. And all you can see is why those people are doing that. You've got to learn the source of your problem. But 2 Timothy 1.7 says this, God didn't give us a spirit of fear. Fear about the future, fear about our, our personal lives, fear about our families. A spirit of fear coupled with, and we're nervous, we, we see things happen, go, oh gosh, our kids get a little wide in the turns, and all of a sudden we got them on drugs. We're ruining it. This is from hell. And more than you need for him to fix your young is you need him to fill you with the Holy Spirit who knows no fear, knows no discouragement, is the spirit of power and grace. And then instead of being kicked around by the storms, you can walk above them. Yes. Understand what this passage is about here? And the spirit of God carried him like that. Now, number four, listen to me. Anybody can get swamped. To stay swamped is foolish. This is the main point of this passage. Did he get knocked down? Uh, he got knocked on his rear end. Uh, pardon me for the way I'm talking. Today. I don't know the way to talk like this. He got knocked down. He was afraid. He was discouraged. The situations in his life beat him up. Did he stay down? That's the main point right there. There's nothing wrong with getting kicked. There's something wrong with staying kicked. And to stay down is foolish. Listen, there's nothing wrong with being swamped. Look right here at your preacher. Do not become swamped people. Don't become swamped people. This is one of the craziest passages in the Bible. We won't look at it. Ezekiel 46 says this. There is a spirit that flows from the throne of God. The Holy Spirit of God. The river flows from the throne of God. I saw it flow out from underneath the threshold. It flowed down to the people. And wherever the Spirit of God, the river of God flowed, people came alive. They were healed. They were strengthened. And it's a picture of the power of God, the Spirit of God flowing from the throne of God to help His people. But all of a sudden in verse 11, it's got the craziest thing it says but its swamps will be given over to salt marsh and a wasteland. And it's a picture of a... Y'all know what a swamp is? I I love to fish the Blackwater Rivers of eastern North Carolina. You've got these great rivers, fish out there, and and you're fishing these little rivers, and right there you can just pitch a rock in it as a swamp. And the water over there is dead. Fish can't live in it. Guess what lives in a swamp? Serpents. They just... 
And it, they're just side by side. You know why? That used to be alive. You know why it became a swamp? Sediment built a barrier so that the river can't get fresh water near anymore. Get it? That's why Ezekiel 46 said their swamps will be given over to marsh waste. As a child of God, do not let anything in your life block the Holy Spirit of God from coming in your life or you'll become a swamp people and you'll live like this. We need a continual touch from God's Spirit. We have to have the Spirit of God in our lives. The days in America of being able to not have God's power and spirit and get along and be a nice, cute little Christian, mind your manners, they're about over. These are days that call for the power of God. These are days that call for the touch of God. And I'm going to say it again. Can you not see that this man was not able to walk on water? It wasn't because he was mighty Simon Peter, the great apostle. It's because the power of God was touching him. He did what he did by the power of God, not his own effort. This ain't suck it up, buttercup. This is call it down, friend. And the power of God was in his life. But he lost that power. But he got it back, didn't he? And it came back into his life. And he was there again. Now, <clears throat> don't fret being knocked down. Listen to me. When you get knocked down, refuse to stay down. Larry Lee was a man that God blessed mightily in the 80s. And God spoke to him and said, if you'll call the nation to pray, I'll heal the nation. Maybe believe God would heal this nation. If this nation's in trouble, it's not the Democrats' fault. Sure, I got a Democrat in here who can say amen. It's not the Republicans' fault. Go ahead. I knew I'd have some there. It's God's people's fault. If the Bible's true, my people, called by my name, would humble themselves and pray and quit their sins, I will heal their land. If the land's not healed, it's because the church is not praying. And from a posture of humility. Bottom line. So God called him and said, you call the nation to pray. He said, find me 300,000 people in this nation that will pray to me an hour every morning. I'll heal the land. And he set out to do that. And uh, that came from the book of Genesis where a very wicked land called Sodom. You ever heard of Sodom? That's pretty Sodomite. That's wicked. And Abraham interceded before God. Let me tell you something. Men can change the mind of God. God said, shall I, do, shall I do something and not tell my friend Abraham? And he said, the wickedness of Sodom has come before me and I'm going to destroy the land. Abraham stood up in front of him and prayed for Sodom. And he said, if I could find 50 righteous men, would you spare the land? Right. He said, I'll do it. He said, let not my Lord be angry. Let me ask one more time. He went from 50 to 40 to 30 to 20. He said, let me ask one more time. If I find five righteous men in Sodom, will you spare it? He said, I will spare it. Don't you ever underestimate the power of prayer. Men can change the mind of God. And, but Abraham couldn't find five righteous people in that nation to pray for it. Therefore, it was destroyed. And he said, you give me 300,000, which is about the equivalent. If they'll pray for this nation, I'll spare this nation. I'll turn it around. Well, he was on his way. And uh, he started a church that was going to be built on prayer to call the nation back to prayer called Church on the Rock. And it was going good, and he was so, God was just blessed. How many know, if you think you're going to be blessed by God and help people, and you're not going to face the adversary, guess what? If you think you're going to find a storm-free life, you can forget it. And he said, went to church one Sunday morning. <clears throat> I thought this was cute. I was so excited. I was going to preach on prayer and how God's going to heal America. <clears throat> and he said, I stood up to my pulpit, opened my Bible, and somebody stood up and said, I want to say something. I thought it was my turn. 
And they didn't wait for me to say, okay. They went on. They, they said, you're the sorriest, no-count liar. Said, you're a con man. You're a thief. You're thieving these people. And another one jumped over and said, that's right. You're stealing money, and you, you're ripping these people off, and you're dishonest. And, and people just started jumping, and the church just got in a fight right there in front of him. He said, all hell broke out in my church. And I'm sitting there thinking, what is this? I'm supposed to call the nation to repentance. I can't even get my own church to behave. Maybe you can have problems in churches. Guess why? It's just the devil. No, it's the people. Where there's people, you can have problems. Can I get a witness? Anybody get married or anything like that? All right. He said, I just finally told him, everybody leave. Shut the service. Everybody leave. Tell the security. Get everybody out of here. He said, I went home. He said, I was lower than a snake's belly in a wagon rut. How many things can happen that will knock you on your fanny? He said, I went home and Melva started cooking lunch. I sat down there, tried to slunk down there thinking, how come he let this happen to me? He said, I was wallowing in self-pity. Let me make an announcement. 2 Peter 2.22 says hogs waller. People shouldn't waller. Hogs waller. People don't need to waller. And I'm just sitting there wallowing, feeling sorry for myself. And said, Melva came in and she she said, what's wrong with you? God, I love women like you. She said, what's wrong with you? He said, you were there. Didn't you see it? She said, we are not going to be like this. She said, you get out of that chair and you get over and you get on your knees beside this couch with me. He said, I didn't want to get up. I wanted to sit there and wallow in my pain. And now I'm mad at her. She should have been comforting me. You know what comfort means, don't you? Double waller. Get down here and waller with me. Dear ones, sometimes you don't need somebody to waller with you. Sometimes you need somebody to do like Jesus did to Simon and say, where's your faith? So you cheer for him in here. If he did it, you'd be mad at him. And he said, I got over there and so I just got said, maybe you can get the worst attitude on you when things happen. He said, I got down there and said, she commenced to pray and she started calling on the name of the Lord and hollering. And then she started kicking devils out of the house and out of the city and out of, and said, she went to town and then she smacked me and said, now you pray. <laughs> and he said, I, I started crying out to God. And he said, by the time I got up off my knees, nothing had been fixed in my church, but something had been fixed in me. He said, I went down a defeated, sad, feeling sorry for myself, man. I came up off that floor with the power of God, feeling like a champion. Listen to me. He's not going to fix your problems before he fixes you. He didn't straighten Simon Peter's mess out. The storm was still raging, but he changed him. The power of God came back in his life. You got to, got to get it, dear ones. All righty, let's learn carefully here. This man got his fanny kicked. His circumstances have beat him up. What did he do? He didn't call a friend. He didn't pick up a book. What did he do? He cried out to Jesus. And he he prayed the most complicated religious prayer you ever heard. (laughs) Help! He said, Lord, save me. Three words. All right, now I want you to see something with me. Let's get this in your mind. We don't know the proximity of the three parties. All right, the boat's here. Jesus, we don't know where Jesus is at. Is he 15 feet from the boat? Is he 20 yards from the boat? Where's Jesus? They've got to be able to hear each other talk, so he's got to be close because the storm raging. All right, Simon leaves the boat. He's walking toward Jesus. We don't know where he was at between the boat and Jesus when he collapsed. But, you know, you got here's the boat. Here's the, Simon's down there. God Almighty's standing right there. And he's struggling. His faith is collapsed. He's struggling. Look at me. How come God didn't help him? 
Did God not see him struggling? What do you think? Sure, he was watching him the whole way. Did God not care about him? Sure he did. How come God let that man suffer and didn't help him? You better learn something here. What was he waiting on? He was waiting on him to call out. Now listen to me. He can do anything he wants to. He's, he's the almighty. But he has limited himself and he restricts himself to your prayers. Until Simon called out, God did not move to help him. He needed help. God loved him. God's standing right there staring at him suffer. But he did not reach out and help him until that man cried out. Just listen to me. We've got to quit thinking about our stuff. We've got to quit fellowshipping with our problems. We've got to quit telling mama how bad it is. We've got to get on our knees and start calling on the name of the Lord. Amen. We've got to start doing what he did in this place, start crying out to God himself. I want you to look with me in the scriptures at James chapter 5. You're going to learn something here. We're going to change what you've been taught about praying. You know what dumb is? Somebody tell me what dumb is. I, I hope that word don't offend you. <laughs> to keep doing the same thing over and over, expecting different results. Dear ones, listen to me. If it ain't working, change. If it ain't working, change. And I'm not talking about husbands. If it ain't working, change. If what you're doing is not working and you're still defeated and, and moaning and whipped, then obviously you don't need to do what you've been doing. You need to change what you're doing. Listen to me. We need to change the way we pray. We need to start praying the way the Bible says to pray. I want you to look at me in James chapter 5. I want you to learn something here, verse 13. Is anyone, now this is written to Christians, not pagans, strictly Christians. Is anyone among you suffering? Stop right there. Say, Brother Vine, I thought if you was a Christian, you wouldn't suffer. Why does he write to Christians if you're suffering? Anybody here a child of God? Have you ever suffered? It does not say Christians won't suffer. It says when you are suffering. So that tells me that suffering for a believer is possible. What does he say? When you're suffering, if anyone's here, let's read it. If anyone's suffering, let him lay around and feel sorry for himself and get drunk. Let him go on social media and tell everybody how rotten it is. What does it say? If anybody's suffering, what? Let him pray. There's the answer right there. There was your God is waiting to help you. Your God is waiting to reach his hand out to you. What's he waiting on? He's waiting on you to pray. I want, you to, I want you to get a revelation from Scripture. It's in that same book right there. James chapter 4 verse 2 says this. You have not because you ask not. Tell me why we stay in the messes we're in, according to the Bible. Prayerlessness. We're not praying. The American church has dropped prayer, one of the dumbest things we ever did. Now, <laughs> what's the only prayer our Heavenly Father cannot answer? Does anybody know? The unprayed one. There's only one prayer he can't answer. It's the one we refuse to pray. When Simon was in this mess, what did he do? He just cried out to the name of the Lord. He said, you have got to help me. And when he did, God touched him. And the power of God came back into his life. That, don't you understand that to, that to cry out to God in childlike faith, that is a great act of faith. I, I don't care what you feel like. To cry out is an act of faith. And to know that he'll answer you. All right, now let me, let me help you. I don't mean to hurt anybody's feelings here, but I've listened to people pray all the time, and I think, where did you learn this from? I'm not, I'm not criticizing anybody's prayer life. I'm just saying we need to get back to the Bible. We need to get back to the Bible. We're in James chapter 5. Look at me in verse 16. The Bible says this in James 5, 16. Confess your trespasses to one another. Tell each other your sins. You can get healed. Watch these words. The effectual, fervent 
prayer of a righteous man causes things to happen, avails much, or causes many things to happen. What kind of prayer causes things to happen? Not the mild-mannered, fancy, religious prayer. Lord, we would ask, if it would be thy will, would thou stretch forth thine hand? That stuff don't work, Doc. The effectual, fervent prayer. You know what fervent means? Desperate. I come broken. I come desperate. Listen, Simon did not say, Lord, if, if it be thy will, if thou would stretch forth thine hand into the storm. He didn't do that mess. He cried out in need, desperation. You have got to help me. You know what that is? That's a fervent prayer. That's a passionate prayer. That's a desperate plea. Read the prayers through the Bible. People didn't do this religious mess we've learned in church of all traipsing around town and all this stuff. They bore that. They cried out to God. Listen, those cry out to God desperation prayers cause things to happen. I want you to memorize James 5, 16. Let me tell you something. If I can't trust James 5, 16, to help me when I'm going through stuff in this life, I can't trust John 3.16 to get me into heaven when I die because I got both of them out of the same book. Amen. The same book that tells you to call on the name of the Lord and you'll be saved tells you to cry out to him in your problems and he'll reach down and touch you. Good. He'll help you. Now, we got a little problem in there and I'm going to shoot the... Let me shoot the enemy in the mouth real quick here. Actually, let me put the sword in there. People read that and they say, well, Brother Brown, that's the problem. I'm not a righteous man. We got to settle this. Because you've got to be righteous to get your prayers answered. It counts me out. You're looking at a righteous man right here. You say, you cocky thing? No. Faith. Let me quote you 2 Corinthians 5, 17. He made Jesus who knew no sin to become sin for me so that I could become the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. Righteousness is not something you earn. It's a gift you receive. Jesus died on a cross to wash my sins away and make... Righteousness just means right with God. I want you to make an announcement. I'm right with God because of what Jesus did on the cross. Amen. And your enemy will go. Well, you start to pray and he'll say, what kind of, look, what do you think you are? The way you've been acting. The way you've been talking. How, look, you think God's going to answer your prayer. You tell him, stick it in your horny ear. Jesus is my righteousness. Amen. That's what the Bible means when it says, put on the breastplate of righteousness to protect your heart. Righteousness is the blood of Christ. It's the gift of God. You say, well, now listen, if you're in sin and you're evil and you're wicked, get right with God. Amen. And then you'll be right. And then you'll be righteous and then your prayers can get answered. Yes. This ain't complicated. Right. You know, it's just the effectual fervent prayer that cries out. Now I want to make an announcement. Jesus didn't stop that man's storm. He did not stop his problems. He changed him. There is Holy Spirit power still available today to live above the junk going on around. I am stunned at the people and the preachers today who are crushed by what's going on. A preacher friend of mine not long ago, he was talking to me, and he just said, I can't sleep at night, I'm worried. He said, I'm not eating. I thought, what could be happening to this man that he's so devastated? He told me, and I started to say, that's all. <laughs> I thought to myself, you ain't got enough faith to get an motorcycle halfway around a BB. Well, I didn't laugh because I felt sorry for him. He said, would you pray for me? I thought, I don't know how to pray for stuff like this. Dear, dear ones, let me make an announcement. You better suck it up. Times are coming. You better get your faith built up. I had to go to a cardiologist several years ago. My doctor sent me. And his name is Dr. Parachute. And I had to go over and see him. And it made me do what they call a treadmill. You get on a treadmill. And they start real slow. And then it picks up speed. 
So I'm on this treadmill, and I thought, this ain't bad. I'm just walking real slow. All of a sudden, it starts picking up speed. I started walking faster, and it picked up speed. I started walking faster. Pretty soon, I'm walking. I look like I'm in the Olympics in that walking thing. And Dr. P said, if you don't pick up the speed, that thing's going to throw you into the wall over there. Listen to me. With what's coming in this land, if you don't build your faith, what's going on in this land is going to throw you into the wall. Greater is he that's in me than he that's in this world. You, you don't need to be tough, dear ones. We're not talking about tough. We're talking about the touch of God. And we're talking about the power of God. But there is Holy Spirit power to those who cry out and get help. Now, I'm going to make up my mind. I am not going to live beat up by life's garbage. I'm not immune to problems. Things are going, I got things going on in my life right now that are crazy. And I don't like it. Is anybody like me in here got junk going on y'all if you don't like right now? But I am not going to let it beat me up. I'm not going to wallow in it. I'm not going to live under it. I'm going to get under the spout where the glory comes out. And I pray, I just tell him, I could ask you about this, but I've learned you're not going to answer me. So since you're not going to ask me, would you help me? And I'm going to worship my way through whatever it is. We need the touch of God on our lives today. There is a power that's there today. I'm going to call on the Lord. I'm going to give you a verse to memorize. I, I just love to chew on this. Jeremiah 33, 3 says this. Call on me. I will answer you. And I will show you things you've never seen before. He'll do it. He'll do it. And you need to believe that. I've made up my mind. <clears throat> He's going to do something in me. And I am going to pray until something happens. Are you with me? We've got to make up our minds. I'm not going to waller. I'm not going to be beat up. I'm not going to try to find somebody to have coffee with that'll listen to me whine. I'm going to get alone. I'm going to get with God. And he's going to do something for me. That's exactly what this passage is about. A man who got his fanny kicked by the problems, but he called out on the Lord and God picked him up and helped him. Now, did you notice at the end, he did stop the problems. He stopped the storm. He fixed his mess after he fixed the man. We need to get on his program. I'm going to tell you a story. I'm going to quit here. Uh, Jack Hayford. You ever heard of Jack Hayford? I love him. He's considered America's pastor. One of the greatest men that ever lived. He's almost 90, about 90 years old now. But years ago, he, he took a little tiny church called Church on the Way. Van Nuys, California. It became, it's one of the great churches in the nation now. It's right there near Hollywood, California. If there's a spirit-filled, godly Christian in Hollywood, they're probably members of the Church on the Way. And it's just a tremendous church. He's also the man who, he's called the father of uh, contemporary Christian music in the modern church. You know, 40 years ago, he's the man who brought contemporary Christian music to the American church. Written so many courses. I think his, he wrote the song, Majesty, Worship His Majesty. Still the all-time number one selling course. And great pastor, great man. He got up in his 70s, and it was decided, you know, he decided, I'm getting older. I need to turn the church over to somebody else, and I'm going to just... Right, great school, King's College and Seminary. So Jack uh, took it to his elders, said, I'm, I'm going to wind down, you need to replace me. Well, he'd had an associate for 10 years who was his son-in-law, great man in himself, great teacher. And the elders decided, we'll let your son-in-law, your associate, we'll just let him be the next pastor. He loves our church. So the arrangement was made, it was all set. And on a set day, they transitioned and, and uh, his son-in-law became the pastor. A few weeks after that, um, it was on Wednesday night, that son-in-law of Jack's, church on the way, was having service. He got done, and an associate was going to pray, say some things, and then pray. So he steps off the platform, and as he stepped off the platform, he fell down on the floor, dead. 
and it had a massive brain explosion. An aneurysm exploded in his head, killed him instantly. And, of course, they kept his body alive by machines until his parents could get from Texas to California a couple days later. And uh, Jack said, you know, I, I, when that happened, he said, it just hit me. And now here's this man, uh, 70-some years old. Now he's got to take care of his own family through this thing. You know, and, and he's got to take care of his daughter. You know, when you're hurting, it's one thing. When you watch your children hurt, it's a whole different deal. And he said, my family's suffering. I got to take care. He said, I got to take care of my church. 10,000 people, I got to look after them. They just lost their pastor. And he said, I just lost my best friend. This boy worked with me every day for 10 years. He was like my own son to me. And I just lost my, my own dearest friend. And he said, I'm, I'm just struggling so much. And maybe, you know, even people with great faith can go through tough things. And he said, I'm just devastated by what's going on. And then the voices, I mean, know there are voices. Why'd God let this happen? If God cares about you, why is this going on? What's going to happen? And he said, this stuff just started getting in my head. And he said, finally, I got to, that night, I got to bed about 2 o'clock. I'm trying to take care of my family and whatnot. And he said, I was so broken, you know, emotionally, obviously, you hurt in your heart for something like that. Spiritually, I'm wondering. I'm crying out, praying all the time. Where, where, where are you at? Are you going to help me? And he said, I went to bed at 2 o'clock. He said, I woke up at 5 o'clock because I was facing the, I could see the digital clock, five zeros. I woke up at 5 o'clock. He said, I rolled over my, that's my normal time to get up. I rolled over on my back. And he said, all of a sudden, hell piled in on me. And the most hellish thoughts, God doesn't care anymore. Your daughter's going to hate God for this. Your grandchildren are going to go up and belong to Satan. Your church is going to collapse. You have no faith yourself this wouldn't happen. How many of you know, as the Bible said in Luke chapter 4, Satan departed from him until an opportune time. And he'll wait till you're going through the most difficult time with your children, with your job, in your culture. And that's when he piles in your head. There was the battle is in your head. Thought life. The battle is in your, the thought life. And don't you dare underestimate the powers of hell to get in there with fear, discouragement, doubt, accusing you. Where's your God? If God's so good, why are you going through this? He said, this stuff came down on me like a flood. Matter of fact, the Bible says, when the enemy comes in like a flood, and I found when he hits, he brings all his help with him. Sometimes, he'll hit, sometimes he just picks at you. During the day, sometimes he hits you like a freight train when you're going through difficult times. And he said, I'm weak. I hadn't slept. He said, I've got all this to deal with. He said, I'm emotionally wrung out. And now the powers of hell are in my head. He said, I just, he said, I just thought, I can't even battle this. You're going to get to places where you can't handle it. Amen. Everybody needs to realize times where you just can't handle it. This great apostle, he's one of the greatest, most powerful men ever lived. He couldn't handle the storm. And he said, I turned to the right again. And all I could say was, Jesus... I can't handle this. You're going to have to handle it. And he said, when I, and I said it in faith, and I knew he'd help me. Cried out to him in faith, you're going to have to handle this. He said, when I said that, he said, sleep. I just went to sleep. Something just came over. He said, I don't ever go back to sleep again. He said, I went into a deep sleep. And he said, I slept for one hour. He said, when I woke, said, my eyes woke, I'm staring at the clock. It said 600. And he said, I woke up, and in that moment, he said, there was a quiet inside of me. He said, there were no thoughts in my head. There was a peace that had the presence of God in it. And he said, there was a strength there. And he said, I got up out of the bed and said, I, when I stood up beside the bed, I, I praised God. 
And he said, I felt like I was standing on a block of granite a mile wide and a mile deep and a mile long. And there was a power there. All the garbage was gone. The pain was gone. And there was a faith. There was a strength there that could have only come from heaven. And he said, that carried me through the whole you know, funeral time the next few days. Helped me take care of my family. He said, just the power of God came over me. I couldn't handle that storm. But I cried out to the Lord and he helped me. Now listen to me. That, that's one of the great pastors in America. That's for every believer in this room. He is no respecter of persons. If he did it for them, he'll do it for you. Amen. We are not on a joy ride into glory. We're going to be, there are going to be storms till you see Jesus. But there's going to be Jesus till you see Jesus. And he's always there. And we call on the name of the Lord. Don't you ever doubt that that man tells the truth. When he said, can't you just see him? Call on me. Call on me. I will answer you. And I'll show you things you've never seen. In this ripe old age, I've decided I really don't care what goes on around me. Good thing I wasn't getting them prayers answered anyway. You know what I seek now at this ripe old age? I'd rather have the power of God on me than my way around me. You can all act crazy for all I care anymore. I want the touch of God on my life. I want to go to heaven one day. I want heaven to come to me now. I want the Spirit of God on me now. Dear ones, don't you ever doubt your faith in God will bring His presence to you. Call on His name. He'll answer you. He'll do for you what He did for Simon. Lord Jesus, I want to praise you and thank you so much. Have we forgotten in the modern American church that there is a Holy Spirit of God? Have we forgotten that the power that raised your dead body from the grave is inside of every one of us if we're born again? Where is the Holy Spirit of God in the American church? Where's the power of God that sustains us through the junk and the trials and the burdens? Your word is very clear. We're not going to fix this planet. How about you fix us? Instead of making everybody do what I want them to do, how about grace and power to live in this day? I trust you for that. I pray for every person in this room that hear the word of God, that it's not about when it gets better. It's about when he gets closer. I thank you and praise you that rather than get us out of the mess, you're going to get in the mess with us. And I, I humbly, I beseech you, I pray in the name of Jesus for all my people that they will know there is a power from heaven that will help them. There is a spirit that will answer them. And I thank you and praise you. Father, thank you that if you'll give your son on a cross for my salvation, you'll give your spirit for my deliverance. And I thank you. I want every person in this room to know the power of God. I want them to know what it's like to be crushed and then call out and say, Jesus, I can't do this. Help me. And then find that peace and that strength and that inner courage that comes from your spirit. I want everybody here to live in the power of God. And I just want to praise you and thank you that the Holy Spirit of God has not diminished one bit since the day he was poured out at Pentecost. He is the same. Thank you for your goodness and your grace. Thank you that one day we will see you face to face and the storm will cease. But till then, thank you that your power will never stop. I give you all the praise and glory. In the precious name of Jesus, I pray. Amen. And amen.